Let's turn back for a little to the chapter we read in Joshua chapter 2. And uh, just uh, looking at at this chapter in a sort of general way. Uh, So we know that the book of Joshua is one of the most uh, thrilling and dynamic and exciting books in the Bible. It's a book very much of faith. It's a book of inspiration. It's a kind of book sometimes we feel maybe our faith is dipping or we feel that the cause is such that we don't know where we're going to go. It's always good to look at uh, books like the book of Joshua and see just the way that God worked in the past and God is the same uh, today as he was back then. And it's a book of faith where we see the obedience of faith and we see God rewarding that faith. Now, as we know, Joshua himself was one of the great men of the Bible, and he had the unenviable task of taking over from Moses, the man of God. And it must have been an an incredibly daunting experience for Joshua to take up the reins, because uh, Moses was, as the Bible says, there was nobody like him. Uh, He was a a unique uh, man of God and uh, had wonderful privileges and wonderful insights into who uh, God is. So it was an awesome task that was given to uh, Joshua, but Joshua had proved himself over the years with Moses. But there is no doubt whatever that Joshua was fearful when he took over. You can see it, although it doesn't doesn't say as such in chapter 1 that Joshua is absolutely terrified, uh, but it's very simple the way God begins, God assures him, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I have given to them, to the people of Israel. And it just shows us that irrespective of how great people are, there comes a time when their time is up. And although the legacy will continue, and although, as the Bible says, dead yet speaking, it shows us that it's God's work. And it goes on from generation to generation. But uh, Joshua was obviously uh, really, he felt uh, sort of that he wasn't up to the task. And the reason that we can say that is because in this chapter, first chapter, God continues to encourage Joshua. And you'll find it uh, throughout, the, over and over. Like, for instance, he, he, he says, uh, verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land. And so on. And he says, then he goes on and says, Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. And right throughout in these first few verses in the chapter, we find God is coming back again and again saying this to Joshua, which implies that Joshua was humanly petrified. He was terrified. And we can well understand it, taking up uh, Moses' mantle, so to speak. But uh, Joshua proved himself a very worthy uh, successor to Moses. And we find that uh, he lived a a really great life 
of faith. So uh, we find here that uh, Joshua has no doubt this sense of his unfitness for the task. And you know, that's, that's true of everybody. It doesn't matter what you do for the Lord. You never feel that you are the best person for it. You're never s- sort of saying, well, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody as good as I am. I think they're the best that there is. Don't find Christians saying that. There is a, a sense of unworthiness and unfitness. And part of the great problem is that as we look at ourselves, we're so conscious of our own failings, our own sin, of not being what we hoped we would be, what we thought we would be. Uh, I'm sure every single Christian, as the years go by, they look back and they think they would have done so much more for the Lord, that they would have grown so much more, that they would be much stronger Christians than they are today. And so we have, we, we're constantly facing these kind of issues and problems. So every Christian is often intimidated by what they're called upon to do. And I know that whatever you do for the Lord, there is that sense of unfitness and unworthiness. And it's only right that that's the way we should feel. But that is not a reason why we shouldn't do it. We have to go forward in the strength of God the Lord. And the Lord will equip us. He will help us as we seek to put the hand to the plough in whatever he asks us to do. Now, as we read through, if we had read through the whole of chapter 1, as we say, it's one of the most inspiring chapters in the Bible. And we'll then say to ourselves, I wonder where we're going next with this. But in a sense, it's kind of a shock because the focus comes away largely, although there's still part of the focus on Joshua and Israel, the focus largely moves away from Joshua to this woman. And, you know, it's one of the things, that's, I suppose, one of the reasons why the Bible is so full of surprises. And this woman, Rahab, becomes a remarkable woman of faith. And she displays this amazing faith in the most unlikely place. Because here's this city that is ripe for judgment. It's a city that is going to be obliterated by the Lord. He is going to destroy it and everybody in it and everything in it. And so you would expect that there wouldn't be anybody of faith in this city. And yet we find this remarkable woman, this uh, woman, Rahab. And it's one of the great things is how we find God's grace displayed in the most unlikely situations and amongst the most unlikely people. The church is full of people that we probably never thought would one day be, be following the Lord. So here's this, this woman, Rahab, and she made her living from selling her body, Rahab the prostitute. And you know, the amazing thing is she was never allowed to forget what she was. Because when it's mentioned in the Bible, even when we go to Hebrews, it tells us about Rahab the prostitute. And the great thing about Rahab is that she takes her place besides Abel, beside Noah, beside David, beside Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all these great people, Sarah, great people of God. There is Sarah is mentioned amongst this great, people call it the hall of faith, 
not fame, but a hall of faith, all these great, great people of faith. But she was never allowed to forget what she was. In the same way that Paul was never allowed to forget what he was. Mm-hmm. That he was a person, Paul used to, you'd see it written, Paul, the persecutor, the blasphemer. Paul would be reminding, as he wrote, what he had been. He had a horrendous past as far as the church was concerned. He had blood on his hands, the blood of Christians on his hands. And that was something Paul could never, ever forget. And he reminds us and reminds his readers of what he had been. Same as Matthew. Matthew, the publican. When, it, when he wrote, he reminded his readers of what he had been. And the Lord doesn't allow us to forget where he's taken us from and what we've been. Because, you know, it's one of the worst things is where you see somebody who's been taken from the miry pit and from the, uh, from the, the, the clay and the miry pit and their feet set on a rock and they forget once where they were, where they may have an aloof attitude, where they have a, a superior attitude, where they may begin to look down on others. And the Lord says, no, no, you must never forget from where you came. And you are where you are, and I am where I am, by God's grace alone. And the Lord has ways of reminding us of that. (coughs) And so it was for Rahab. She was never allowed to forget uh, what she had been. Now, uh, when we we come to to look at this particular chapter and see this uh, particular woman... We're reminded, as we say, of, of the wonder of, of God's grace. And, you know, sometimes we have a... We sadly look at certain people and we think, I, I don't know if it's worth really speaking to them about the gospel. Is it worth sharing? Is it worth inviting them to church? Is it worth... And we sometimes, in our own mind, we can be guilty of writing certain people off. And then there are other people when we think, oh, well, they're definitely candidates. Uh, for salvation but we've got to remember that nobody is worthy of salvation nobody in a sense is a candidate because we are all sinners through and through and it is only by grace that we are saved and the Lord continues to remind us of these things because we know that sometimes some of the most upright in life are as far from the kingdom as some of the worst open sinners and so it's a, it's a very serious thing. Anyway, we find here that Joshua, being a military man, sends out two spies to spy out the land. And at this particular point, Joshua didn't know how they were going to progress, how they were going to go ahead. That's the beauty of this book, is that it's a step-by-step journey. It's a journey of faith. So God keeps telling them, day by day, or moment by moment, This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. They didn't really know what was going to happen. And that's how faith works. You know, we we would love, we would love to know a good bit beforehand all the time, wouldn't we? We say to ourselves, that would make life an an awful lot easier. If I knew, if I knew what was happening in the next few weeks, I could plan my life better. I could kind of sort things out. I'd have a better idea. No, we wouldn't. We, it, we would not make a better job of it. And faith doesn't work like that. Faith 
focuses on the Lord. And faith walks with the Lord step by step. And that's what this book, the book of Joshua, is all about. And so we find that God is uh, asking Joshua and Israel (coughs) to display this faith. Now, Joshua sends out these spies because, well, that's what he had been himself. You remember way back when Moses, the first time round, when Israel were at the borders of the promised land some 38 years earlier, nearly enough. You remember how Moses sent out 12 spies to spy out the land. And the 12 spies came back and they all had one report which said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. The vegetation, they they brought back this massive cluster of grapes and they were saying "It's it's a wonderfully fertile land. But... Ten of the spies said, we haven't had chance. The people there are like giants compared to us. We haven't a hope. We're finished. And it's pointless even trying to go up. We'd be as well to go back to Egypt. And they they were so incensed that they wanted to stone Moses. And Joshua, one of the spies, and Caleb, they pleaded with Israel. And they said, don't be daft. Everything the other spies say is true, but... God has promised to take us and we will go and we will conquer. And they wouldn't listen. They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb as well. And then the glory of God appeared and we know the rest is history where Israel, God said, well, I'll give you what you want. If you don't want to go up, you won't go up. It's the next generation that will go up. And so Israel wandered for 40 years, more or less, in the wilderness. So this is the next generation They've come to learn obedience. And so Joshua is doing what he had done under the direction and guidance of Moses. And he sends out these spies into Jericho. And they go to Rahab's house. Now, it's very interesting that the word translated harlot in the Hebrew can mean one who keeps an inn. But it is also a prostitute. And there's no doubt whatever that as you follow the story of Rahab, that it is, a pre- but it's quite probable that she was both, and that she probably kept an inn as well. And that would make it the, the more obvious reason why the two spies would go there. It would le- uh, raise least suspicion if they went to, to an inn. And uh, so that's where they go. And of course, it was the Lord who directed them there. And Jericho was on high alert. Because the word comes to the king that two strangers have come into the city. And they also know that Israel is at the borders. Israel is at the Jordan. And so there's a great sense of fear in in the whole population of of Jericho. And the king sends uh, his men to Rahab's door. And Rahab concocted this story about how they had slipped out at night. Yes, they'd been here, but, but they had gone. And Rahab's courage... Now we're not, I suppose we could spend time looking at, at what the way she, the, the story she told, and people will say, well, she, she lied. Uh, but uh, we've got to remember this was a situation of war, and uh, that's not, the Bible doesn't actually on this focus on this at all. And she's commended for her faith, and her faith in hiding the spies. 
And so it was great courage on her part to hide them because if the spies had been discovered being hidden by her, she was dead. There was no two doubts about it. She would have been executed on the spot. But she concocted this story. And what's wonderful here is that we see Rahab's faith is great because Rahab has come to see that these spies are men of God and that God is with them and God is not with the people of Jericho. And Rahab has come to a place where she wants to be with the people of God. And she is really saying, like another heathen woman, Ruth, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Basically, that's the place that Rahab has come to. Because she is wanting to identify, she no longer counts herself as part of Jericho. She is now throwing her lot in with the people of Israel. So that God, the, their God is going to be her God. And then she goes on to, to state really how this has come about. Because we see there in verses 10 and 11, and it says here, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. So you see, the first thing that is obvious here is, with the whole journey of faith, hearing is essential. That's what she says, we have heard. So this is the beginning of Rahab's journey, was by hearing what God had done. And the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Elsewhere it says, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How can you have people believing in someone that they haven't heard of? And so that's why it's so important that the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel is preached, that people come under the word, that people read the word, because it is there that they're brought to see the way of salvation. So hearing is right at the very beginning of what happens. And then she said, uh, verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. That's, <coughs> excuse me. There was this great sense of fear came over them all. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, and so on. So you see, that's another point where we come to, to have a sense of fear before God. This discovery that he is God and that he is just. And that he is just to deal with us in our sins. And Rahab was the only one because they all feared. But she was the only one who came to believe. And, you know, some people think of, if I heard a sermon that scared me, I would be converted. Some people think like that. I want one of these sermons where I'm shaking in my shoes. If I heard a sermon like that, I would come to faith. Well, you know, many a person has heard a sermon that has struck terror into their heart. And they've gone out saying, I must, I must get sorted with the Lord. But that's as far as it's gone. Because that sense of fear doesn't, in and of itself, bring a person to faith. There has to be this, as we say this, hearing, 
And then, but this sense, in Rahab, there was this sense of who God really is. So there's no doubt in Rahab's life that first of all she heard and then she believed. Because then we come to the next important thing is she confesses. And we've got to remember that confession is important because we're told in Scripture that whosoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth. We've got to remember that confession is a very important part of the journey of faith. And that's one of the great things that we have where a person uh, comes before the session, a person who wants to become a communicant member. And basically what they're doing is making a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is their Lord, that I I now believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's that confession of faith. And that's what, what Rahab, that's her confession. She says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And you know, if you go through the Bible up to this point, that's one of the greatest confessions that anybody has made up to this point. And here's this woman in Jericho, this city ripe for destruction. Here she is making this great confession as to who the Lord is. And then we see further her faith is moving into works. That's why she hid the spies. Because she had come to identify, these are my people. Their God is my God. And then we see a further evidence of her faith is that she wants all her family to be saved. That's what she asks. That you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And you know when you become a Christian, that's one of the first things you want, isn't it? You want others to know, and particularly your own, those whom you love, your own family. And you pray for those who are still outside the kingdom. Oh Lord, you say, Lord, bring them in, that you would touch their heart. There's an immediate burden for your own family and for your friends, those whom you love. It's an evidence of the work of grace. And so here it is in the life of Rahab. Straight away she's wanting that all her people uh, will be saved as well. And then we find that the spies are saying to her, right, there's big things going on here. And the spies (coughs) come to a place where they, they they make a promise, they make a covenant. And they say, right, this is the deal. You bring all your family into your house. And we promise that all who are in your house will be safe. Anybody goes out, their blood is on their own head. And if you tell anybody of what this is about, if you breathe a word to anybody, then we are guiltless of anything that happens. And so they made this covenant. The Bible is full of covenants, where it's, covenant is really an agreement between two parties. We find that God often... We find him making a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Noah. We know, of course, the greatest covenant is the new covenant that the Father made with the Son. And what covenant is that? It's a covenant made on our behalf. You see, God, in order to save us, didn't make a covenant with us. He didn't make an agreement with us. Can you imagine how it would be if we were on the one side and God was on the other? And we had to... Give perfect obedience in order to be saved. None of us could be saved. 
But Jesus, Jesus has taken our place. And Jesus is saying, make the covenant with me on behalf of my people. And that's what has happened. That Jesus, that's why it's called the, the new covenant. It's a wonderful covenant. So that it's a covenant that cannot be broken. It's a covenant that God the Father will honor. He cannot but acknowledge and honor the covenant that has been made with his son. So this, of course, is all pointing to this. And so there's this great uh, covenant made between uh, Rahab and with the spies. And they then, she's going to let them down, and there's going to be this red cord put in the window. And this red cord will be the mark of her house was on the wall of her house. And you know, when you look at that red cord hanging from her house, you cannot but think of another time of red on a house, and that's the Passover. Remember how the, the doorposts and the lintel were covered with blood, the red blood. And when the angel saw that, the angel that was killing the firstborn, Every house that had the covering of blood passed over, passed over. And that's the way it is for us as well. Where if we are covered by the blood of Jesus, then we are safe. We are freed from the curse of sin, the punishment of sin that inevitably is going to fall. And then again, the, the, the spies, uh, they say, it's very interesting, they they say, uh, our life for yours. And again, you know, that's really what, what the Lord Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, my life for yours. And I have to ask you this great question. Can you say that tonight? That Jesus is saying of you, my life for you. That he actually gave his life for you. It's the most wonderful thing that has ever happened in the world and you know it's an awful thing to be under the gospel to be hearing the word and yet to be sort of pushing it away for another time for another day because you know we'd, we're often scared if you're here tonight and you're not a believer you're sometimes scared of what it entails to be a Christian what happens when I go from here to there I'm going into another world that I'm, not, I'm used to the world I'm in. I don't know if I can cope with the world that I will arrive into. What will people say? What will people think? What will people's attitude be? You know, there's all kinds of things go on. Well, be persuaded that the Lord won't do you anything but what is, what is good. And the fears that you have, these fears will go. It's one of the things that... I'll be, Honest, it's one of the things that was almost holding me back uh, from being a Christian. It's the fact that I would say, I could never, I could never come out on the Lord's side. I, I, I don't have the courage. I had plenty of courage for other things, but I didn't have the courage to be a Christian. And I would say, I, I can't, I can't come out on the Lord's side. And I used to look at Christians and I would say, poor, they, they've got great courage that they can actually... And I could never envisage a day if I ever became a Christian where I would be ever able to tell anybody. And yet, here I am. Here you are. Because the Lord enables you. He gives you the strength. He gives you the grace. He gives you the courage. 
he helps you to overcome these fears. And that's, that's, that's a one, the wonderful thing that he does. So remember tonight that Jesus is saying, this is what he says, my life for yours. And we see the end of the story in, John, in Joshua chapter 6, because when the Jericho is being destroyed, we find that Joshua sends the spies, and he then says to them, go, go. And in verse 22 of chapter 6, we read, But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house, and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies from him brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And then they went on and burnt the city with fire and everything. Verse 25. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. In other words, her people... She integrated into Israel and became part, and her family, they obviously married in and became part of Israel. It's, a, it's an amazing story, and it just shows that we can find faith in the most unlikely places. There's this woman, Rahab, in a city ripe for destruction. And here's you in a gospel community. Is it possible that you're still outside? But well, don't wait outside any longer. Tonight, Jesus passes by and he's saying, my life for yours. Let's pray. Lord our God, we, we pray that we may know the riches of your grace, that we may know the wonder of this gospel, and that you will bring it to bear upon our lives, that you will do us good. We give thanks, O Lord, for the way you deal with us and your patience with us. We give thanks, O Lord, that you don't deal with us in the way that we deserve. And we pray that you'll take us all home safely, that you'll bless us, each and every one, and all whom we love. We give thanks for the privilege of calling upon you. And we give thanks for the great privilege that we can call upon you anywhere, at any time. Lord, do us good, we pray. May we receive your blessing. Cleanse us from our every sin and Forgive us in Jesus' name we ask it.